Hi, welcome to the Church Split. My name is Will, and you know what we do here? We not only unite the divided body, but our point here is help you escape your echo chambers of church, where you've been hearing the same thing over and over again, and you don't know anyone else's perspectives, and just a place where you can sit down and know the fact that just because you might be a Christian who believes slightly differently doesn't mean that you are somehow considered less of a Christian here. The point here is to show that we have unity through diversity, and of course, that there are fundamentals of the faith that we must focus on. So again, thank Thank you all for being patient as we have not been producing episodes as much lately. Many of you guys have already watched the live update video or listened to that episode. Then basically my daughter's in the NICU till possibly after November. So I'm not November, after Thanksgiving. Oh, I really hope it's not after November. I'm so sick of living in a hospital. But <laughs> So thank you guys for being patient. So some of the videos that we'll be putting out, I know Brian is talking about getting some, something together that he might put an episode together. And um, there's talk about Stacy possibly coming on, but we have other things coming. We have Choice for Two coming on this week. We also have Dr. Tim Stratton. He's agreed to come on. And also Dr. James White has agreed to come on at some point. We just haven't been able to narrow down a specific date. And whether you like some of those, some of these people or hate some of these people, I think we need to kind of put down the torches and pitchforks, torches and pitchforks sometimes. Woo! You can definitely tell it's early in the morning. I'm running on lack of sleep. I do not know English. But, uh, you know, I, I just really exciting to have people come on, give offering different perspectives and allow people to sh even promote their ministry a little bit, and maybe you can go there and see what all the fuss is about when we have them on. So anyway, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention is, you know, it's kind of cool doing this. Uh, you know, today's not a topic that I've researched and then have I've come up with some structured arguments where, you know, and of course they're always like my stronger arguments. I never come in here uh, giving every single possible response to every single possible objection. You just, that would be impossible. We are thinking about doing a video here soon where we respond directly to some of the objections we've had, but that's for another time. But what's, so today is more of a personal episode. It's, it's less one that I had to study and more one I just had to probe some friends and whatnot and how I wanted to go about talking about this topic. Today, we are talking about the dangers of legalism. And legalism is a very dangerous thing. And, you know, uh, many of you guys have experienced it in most churches, whether you're, you're raised Baptist, whether you're raised Reformed, whether you were raised uh, even Methodist, or if you were raised... Uh, the Church of Christ, or whatever you were, uh, there is a sense of legalism to a lot of these things, and it, mainly because we're sinful man, and man fails all the time, and we tend to put our our own pride and righteousness above God's, and I think that's where a lot of these problems come from. So, uh, you know, uh, right right now, while my wife is uh, and my wife and I are living at the hospital, I don't have as much time to uh, prepare for some of these things. So, uh, when I do some of these, it might be some of those topics I finally wanted to talk about for a while, just haven't. So, uh, anyway. I was raised uh, as, a, as a young independent Baptist, and you know that, and that right there, there's a lot of legalism I experienced. And uh, when I say legalism, I want people to understand me properly, okay? And what's funny is that as I've approached this particular type of topic, it's got me lumped in with like the Recovering Fundamentalists podcast, the Preacher Boys, there's also the Hermeneutics podcast and all these other groups. And it's funny because I didn't quite like ever envisioned that that was where I was going to go. I actually would always envision this to be like a Bible focused and apologetics focused channel. And then it, as uh, after I had JC on and approached some of the hot topics that are in fundamentalism, I kind of got lumped on with them. So it's weird when I randomly get tagged on Twitter, like, hey, uh, you know, RFP family, go check out the church split. I'm like, oh, whoa, that's weird. Okay. Uh, so, uh, you know, I think it's good because I think there's many people who do listen to this that are have been hurt 
hurt and damaged by legalism. And the point here is not to let you wallow in your bitterness, okay? I, I actually can't stand that uh, mentality of just, I'm going to sit here hurt and broken forever in my Christian walk. You know, at some point you have to get back up and limp, right? And so, but legalism is dangerous. Legalism does have it does hurt people. So the point here is maybe it'll help you identify some of those things. You can put a pin on it and go, that's what it is. That's what's bothering me there. Or maybe it'll help you kind of go, you know what? Yeah, I've been, I've been labeling God, church, and people, and legalism all in one giant lump sum when the proper distinctions need to be made. So again, this, the point is to unite, not to sit there and just beat a dead horse. But I just want to talk specifically about this. Uh, so let's talk about legalism. All right, let's go. Let's jump on in. Sorry, that was a long intro, but I am tired of running on lack of sleep. This Thereby, I am less structured. That is just something you're going to have to deal with. I apologize, but not really, because I really don't care. All right, <laughs> moving on. So the church split. Uh, we, you know, when it comes to this, we are very much against legalism. We want Bible and we want the truth, which I know is kind of weird because we have so many diverse thoughts. But a church really should focus on the fundamentals and then leave things that could be legalistic out of it. Now, when I say legalism, there are two definitions of what I'm talking about. Usually when you're actually talking to someone who's being legalistic, they will use the first definition, which is someone believes in works-based salvation. That is not what we're talking about when we say legalism. You know, it's kind of their way of dodging the bullet or skirting the issue of just saying, well, you know, legalism is just, it's, it's you know, it's works-based salvation. I don't believe that, you know. So you're just, you're just a dumb, dumb, bitter liberal who don't know what he's talking about. You know, it's, it, it turns into that sort of thing. And I, that's not, that's not helpful, nor is it the proper definition of what we're talking about, because there's a second definition, which means a strict adherence to a particular code or conduct. And that there is much more, uh, much more what we're talking about. That is a, it is a strict adherence to a particular code, a particular rule set, things along that nature. Now, uh, being raised Baptist, Baptists do have a tendency to have a reputation of being legalistic. Uh, I, so I was raised in a heavily legalistic environment in many ways. Uh, I don't think the pastor, that the very lead pastor, I don't think he was legalistic, maybe maybe in some areas, but I don't think that. Uh, of, that of, the more and more I got to know them, the more I realized, oh, there are things that you don't know that's happening here that or you don't think are a big deal that actually are. But many were, uh, many were in the church uh, legalistic and it was enforced to an insane degree behind closed doors very often. And I have endless amounts of, uh, uh, copious amounts of stories I could tell you about how that, how that worked out. You know, there was times where if, you know, everyone in the youth group had left besides me and like one random person who's a girl and I'm in there playing the piano in the youth room and there's a girl in the room, suddenly it was no-no. Uh, I was told, you can't do that. That's inappropriate. And I'm like, she's over there. I don't even I wasn't even talking to, to, to her. Like, I don't know who you're talking. What? what? Uh, so um, it caused a lot of frustration and confusion growing up. Um, there was also, you know, you, I had to wear a, a tie uh, when I would just play in the orchestra, sing in the choir, and that always threw me off too because like, you know, why, why, why? Does, my, does my tie, does this piece of silk tied in a knot around my neck suddenly make me more godly? What? And again, there are all these different things that it, it, caught, it really blurred the lines between man, God, church, and what is required. Because then also they would push you, of course, to, well, this is what God says about this. So they're always pushing you in a certain direction. So it caused a lot of 
frustration and confusion growing up because obviously you couldn't live up to all these standards. And the standards changed arbitrarily whenever they a lot of people needed them to. So, you know, they would consistently nag on you about this, but then suddenly make the exception over here for themselves. You know, and there's a lot of weird inconsistencies like that. That just there's a lot of uh, we say this, but really we also do this, but it's only okay for us to do it, not for you to do it. And that really caused a lot of problems. So, which turns into a few things. So some grew depressed uh, in the IFB world, and maybe you've seen this in your church congregation. Some grew depressed because they're thinking they weren't good enough, or they, they could never live up to it, so they just would beat themselves down. And others, uh, of course, some grew exhausted and hit the kind of screw it level, and uh, they're like, well, we can't do anything right so why even try in the first place? And that's where I hit. I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I forget. Forget it. I'm done. I'm done trying any trying to make any of you happy. The problem is that then you lump it all together as one. Say, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Screw all of it. And then that means, unfortunately, you take God's law too and you throw it out the window. And then you just do your own thing. You live in rebellion for a while. And then, of course, the, the one that almost bothers me the most is uh, those who fall in line and seek to please and they stay there and they repeat the cycle of legalism. So legalism comes in many forms and it's never the same across the board. It comes in many different, many different forms. Now, some of the forms, like, like I said, growing up Baptist, you know, I had to have a certain dress code at all times. Uh, my hair had to be done a certain way. It was not allowed to be cut or uh, styled in certain ways. Uh, you had to be careful who you talked to, who you associated with, even friends from public school. Like if I, if I was good friends with somebody who really wasn't very you know, their way of Christian, uh, I was having dangerous friends. But meanwhile, they would sit there and have their friends that they had associate with me. So I don't get it. Uh, I didn't get it then. We're, you were told to be a witness, but then we were told not to associate with these people. And I was like, how do you square that circle? You can't. Okay, there's no such thing as a square circle. Contradictory thoughts are contradictory thoughts. And then, you know, uh, you maybe, you know, I even say that there's legalism even in the churches that say that they are completely open and welcoming to all. And people are like, what, what do you mean by that? Well, think about it. Like, nowadays we live in a complete, you know, we, critical race theory is breaking through, uh, you know, social, uh, this idea of Jesus was a socialist and LGBTQ affirming churches. And you have all these different groups. And now it's like, if you went to one of those churches and you didn't, affirm critical race theory or intersectionality or Jesus was a socialist or LGBTQ plus, uh, suddenly you would be excommunicated. So it's another sense of legalism. So uh, legalism applies to a lot of people across the board, okay? Uh, but again, I am going to discuss things personally from our perspective. So legalism flies in the face of the gospel in so many ways. It flies in the face of the gospel and God's nature because it, it basically says that you work your way to salvation, even though they'll never say that. You know, but it's basically adding to God's work, right? So God worked and did these great things of salvation, but now you're adding to it, right? No, no, no. There's other things that you need to do to be considered a better Christian or follower of God. So, and what's funny is that they would never say it's works-based salvation. Meanwhile, though, you are not a good Christian or you're living as a backsliding Christian or you are a carnal Christian if you don't affirm or behave exactly this way. You went to a movie theater, you're rebellious. You know, things along that nature. Even though you could have gone to the movie theater to watch it with a friend who needs witnessing and that was a great way for you to connect with them, but that doesn't matter because, you know, they paint with a broad brush. So, um, another, ex so another example I like to mention is that, you know, God gave us a yard, a well-trimmed, a well-done, you know, growing up, I had a neighbor, uh, Mr. Hunter. He was, he had 
the most immaculate yard you've ever seen. I mean, flowers, it was a beautiful garden, it was amazing. And God, that's God's law. God's law is this beautiful garden uh, and a well-trimmed yard. And then suddenly legalists come along and they build a fence in the middle of the yard and say, you can't go outside of that particular fence because you know what, God made all that garden. We know he hasn't said anything about those things, but you know, just to be safe, we're gonna help God a little bit and give him a few more rules. So uh, I always say that, well, God, we really love your rules and your law, but it seems like you missed a few things. That's what I say that legalists say all the time. So essentially, they blur the lines of what is biblical and what is preferential. That is what this comes down to. So they blur the lines of what is biblical and what is preferential. And you want to talk about what has actually hurt the American church? I hear this all the time from people like, oh, what's, you know, it's, it's this liberal politics. Yeah, there's probably some truth to that. Oh, it's the removing God out of everything. Yeah, there's probably some truth to that as well. You know, Marxism breeds death and destruction. Uh, but also, I would say it's the hypocrisy of Christians as well. We have to be careful in America. Now, I think it's funny that the church is like thriving in other places around the world while it's struggling here. And the reason why it's struggling here in many ways, there's a lot of reasons, but one of the things, one of the reasons why is legalism, because it blurs line between what is biblical and what is preferential. So people come in, they go, wow, this doesn't even make sense. Uh, your book doesn't say anything about this, or oh, you're taking that to such an extreme that you no one can live up to it. And people start kind of making fun of you for it, like, right? Like you, it's impossible to build up. So today I want to encourage you by first giving you the dangers of legalism and why it is so damaging. And of course, thank you, Melinda, Drew, and Ethan for all giving your input when I texted you some points that I should talk about. I really appreciate it. It's helpful. So um, the, obviously, you know, legalism comes in so many forms, it's also hard to always narrow down uh, and talk specifically about what they are. But I have a few here. So the dangers. First off is the danger of appearance focus. Uh, appearance focus. A focus on appearance uh, it, instead, um, you know, a particular outward appearance. So focus on a particular outward appearance. We're, and what this completely misses the point where it's like, you know, man, no, uh, focuses on the outward appearance, but God focuses on the heart. And then he says, you know, that which uh, com basically comes out of your mouth is shows what's inside, and it is what it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of a man that shows his corruption or his goodness. So a particular focus on the outward appearance. This might come into to the uh, requirement of pushing girls to wear particular skirts, or that you know they can't wear pants, or you know you have to dress a certain way, have your hair done a certain way. You can't wear certain brands even depending where you're at. You know, also we have to make sure our uh, facility is immaculate. I remember whenever we would have conferences at Crown College, suddenly they would have all the student body. They'd cancel classes, the thing you paid to go there for, to do an entire work day. So you're free labor. Now, not free labor, you're paying them to work for them and you're cleaning everything. Then they'd hide it behind, we'll just have a servant's heart. I'm like, well, uh, are you having a servant's heart by giving me a discount <laughs> in my tuition? Probably not. So, um, and not probably not, definitely not. So we are changed. And so the, they would do this and then they would be like, well, we have to make sure this place looks amazing. And then what they would do is that like at mealtime, all right, students, you eat during this time and you have to sit way over there. All our guest speakers and all the other churches are going to sit over here in the nicer area and we're going to give them nicer eating everything. And you guys are going to sit over here. Just please shut up, sit back and, you know, we don't want them to know about you common folk. You know, it's kind of what it was. And, you know, really what it was, it was this focus on outward appearance. We want to have this air or illusion of being better than everyone else. 
by the way we dress. And it's funny, uh, a suit coat does not make you more spiritual. Uh, a tie does not make you more spiritual. A comb over does not make you more spiritual. And having a clean shaven face doesn't make you more spiritual. Moses and Jesus had a beard. What the heck is wrong with you people? I do not understand. So that was one thing I never got. Even when I was like completely in it, I'm like, why are beards considered bad by half these people? Because like, they have, it's biblical, like they have them. Um, anyway, so we are, so this flies in the face of the fact that we are changed from the inside out, not the outside in. And when people would first convert, they would always try to be, get them to look a particular way and hoping the fact that that would just fix everything. In fact, um, Many of the kids at Crown or Fairhaven or other places, they would dress the part. They would look the part. They would, because, you know, you could put on it. You could put on a show. Anyone could look like something. And they put on a show, and then suddenly this person would, would get into various leadership positions, and then they're jumping down your throat. I, I had one that he was, he was, he always bragged that he was Scott Pauly's personal intern. And then it's, but he literally threatened to beat me up once because I was doing martial arts in the dorm with some friends. Like, I kid you not, we were practicing, and he's like, you can't do that. Here. And I'm like, well, no one's getting hurt. Like, everything's fine. And he was like, nope. Uh, he's like, nope, it's not. You got to stop that. It's against the rules. I'm like, I don't know any rule against it, but also no one's getting hurt. So it's perfectly safe. And then he literally like, puts his fist in my face and said, how about I put an imprint of my ring on your face and you tell me how safe that is? And then my buddy had to pull me back because I was like, <laughs> you want to go, bro? Uh, suddenly all the testosterone starts rushing and, you know, you as a Bible college student wants to start throwing hands. These holy hands, right? Holy hands. That's what we would call it. <laughs> but uh, no, the thing is, is that what it showed was the fact that when he was at the dorm, he actually, a lot of people were miserable around him, but then when he was around everyone else, he was a totally different person. And I'm not saying it was only that particular person, okay? Uh, everyone falls into this. And when I, I mean, I fell into it too. I could, I could act the part, but then inside I was falling apart. I had a lot of issues. So the outward appearance is easy to follow without changing the heart. That's the point. And as long as everyone, no one knows what your issue is on the inside, they just assume that on the outside, you're fine. And, you know, we already know our culture has enough problems with that, let alone building that in the church. It says we need to bear one another's burdens. I can't bear your burden if I don't know your burden. And, you know, I really could care less whether someone wants to wear jeans or shorts to church. That doesn't matter. There's no dress code as far as that is concerned. In scriptures, we're just told to be modest, okay? Which basically means don't have all your stuff hanging out. Um, the other thing is, is that probably the biggest thing uh, in my, that's my, one of my biggest pet peeves is it fosters pride, that fosters pride, which is earned favor, it believes that they earn favor with God by obeying these extra standards, which is really earned favor with God is the selfishly motivated obedience. You know, I get extra blessings when I do this. Oh, God's going to treat me better when I do that. So instead of demonstrating our love for him because he first loved us, we go, no, God, I am going to do, I'm just going to keep doing these things and hoping that I'll get something in return. And it turns into very much like, G God, G uh, I keep trying to say God and Jesus at the same time. I don't know what's up with that. But it's like you're treating him like a genie in the bottle, right? Or, or a Santa Claus. Like, if I do these things, I earn favor with God, and then suddenly when things don't go right, then people start getting bitter at God. And that's just a bad thing in all circles. You know, well, if I do all the right things, God will bless me. Not necessarily. He might not give you all the things that you want. That's not the point. Uh, ask Job how that worked out for him, you know? Uh, it's, it's, that's not the point. If you're, if you're in a relationship with God to try to get something from God, and he's not enough for you, you're in it for the wrong reasons. You know, um, Jesus should be the only reason why you have a relationship there. You know, it should be, that should be the focus. What can I do to serve God? Because he first loved me, not what can I get out of it? <laughs> okay. 
we, we love him because he first loved us. And that's the way it needs to be focused. But instead, it turns into this pride of I am going to be better than everyone else. The other thing is, it's no longer about what Christ has done, but what I can do. So it turns into, you know, well, I can do, lead this ministry. I can do all these different musical talents. I can do dress this way. I can, I can preach behind the pulpit. I can slam a pulpit. I can preach out of the King James. And it turns into whatever the, your arbitrary standard is, insert it here. And it turns, it's no longer Christ focused. It's no longer what Christ has done, but what you can do. And this really, really bothered me back in the day because it was like, why is it all about these people? Why, you know, I can do this. I've done this. I have seen, I, you know, when I preached, this many people came to the altar and made a decision for God. And, you know, and what's funny too is that in those altar call situations, they're usually, you know, begging and pleading and yelling and guilting and doing this and emotional manipulation to get people to come down to the altar. And it's funny because they oftentimes like accuse, one of the funniest things in like the fundamentalist world is that they often accuse all the modern churches of being emotionally manipulative, which I'm not saying is, isn't truthful. There is some truth to that. But also they do emotional manipulation too. And they just use it in a different way. They use it through gaslighting. They use it through accusatory and like beating you down as opposed. So these people make you like beat you down and to make emotionally manipulative you, making you feel bad. These old ones over here emotionally manipulate you about making you feel good oftentimes. So it just doesn't matter, but it, 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 pick your poison. But either way, you still feel good when you're beating people down over here because of your pride and your ego. So I guess it works both ways. But anyway, also this idea of always taking the high road. Uh, Crown College was funny. They always had a statement that they always said, you know, you know, the Christian life is about choosing between the good, the not the good road and the bad road, but the, the no, no, not choosing what is Sorry, the Christian life is not cho between choosing good and the bad, but be between choosing the good and the best, which is the unending pursuit of Jesus Christ. They'd say that, and then they'd always say, taking the high road, taking the higher road, taking the high road. Well, what really ends up happening is when you start at creating like arbitrary standards way up here, it turns into taking the high road ends up being a place where you just are at your high road looking down on everyone else, which fosters more pride. It, it turns into an ego thing of looking down on everyone else and not in looking up to God. So, and this really takes, and that leads right to my next point, which is moral relativism. And this, I know many of you guys probably have different ones like, oh, you know, appearance focus. I know that really bothers people. I think the pride thing really bothers people. But the thing that drives me personally nuts the most is the moral relativism in legalism. It's my biggest personal pet peeve because you are calling your man-made rules higher standards. The idea of the high road, the good and the best. Where is the idea of the good and the best in Scripture? There is that which pleases God, and there is that which does not please God. That is the way the Bible relays it out. It's not, it's not like, oh, well, these are the things that make you acceptable. These are the things that make you the best. God, God doesn't do that. He has very straight standards across the board. There's man's standards, there's God's standards. There's no best standards. You cannot prove that biblically, and if you are trying to twist scripture to make that happen, then you prove my point. But anyway, calling your man-made rules higher standards. Higher is important here. It, impl it implies a point of reference. Saying higher Im implies a point of reference that you're higher from, right? So if it is a higher standard, you're implying a point of reference, but let me ask, higher to what? Higher to what? The one thing you're trying to be higher than, in all essence, is God's word. 
with your man-made standards and not God-made standards. So let me re, let me kind of rephrase this. I'm gonna I'm gonna park on this for a minute. So it implies that point of reference of a higher standard, but you need a standard to go off of to say it's higher. And the only standard that we are to build off of as Christians is God's standard. So if you're building a higher standard than God's standard, I just have one question for you, which is who are you, oh man? Who are you to sit there and tell God that he needs a higher standard? And who are you to hold you? And I ask this question when people start getting that way. Well, I, go, I know it's not in the Bible, but, but, but I'm like, whoa, whoa, hold on. Who are you as sinful man? Who, is you, who are you as sinful man to bring out a standard that holy, perfect, and righteous God did not? Who are you? You're overstepping your bounds. And here's the thing. Moral relativism always destroys. You want to know how you know that? Look around you. Look around at our culture right now. Look at the burning cities. Look at all the problems that we have going on. Look at abortion and all this stuff. It's moral relativism. It's, it's true for you, but not for me. I want to do this. I feel a certain way. So because I feel this way, I am justified. So basically, like you correlating with how angry or how upset I am means that I am justified in anything I do. And that's not, you can't correlate that. That's completely a false, a complete false equivocation. It does not work. So essentially, you know, moral relativism, our world is full of it. The, that's what Marxism essentially is. Atheism is moral relativism. It's subjectivism. It turns into, well, you know, uh, they, they reject God's objective moral standard. They reject the idea of an objective moral standard, unless you're Sam Harris, in which case you say that you believe in objective moral standards, but in all honesty, you still believe in subjective moral standards because you can't justify your standard. But anyway, it applies a point of reference. If you say you have a higher standard than God, and you can't have a higher standard than God, and if you believe in moral relativism, which is that you get to choose other things, and then you can't sit there and get mad at the atheist, or you know, in the, in the IFB world, I know LGBTQ thing is definitely unacceptable, and so you can't get mad at them either, because they just built a different standard than you. How, can, how come they can't just say, well, see, we built a higher standard of love than, than what's in the scriptures? Just like you could say, well, we built a higher dress standard, a higher music standard than God. You see what happens here? It is a moral relativism that anyone can claim to be higher, but really what it is is pride of man thinking that they know better than God and that they can create their own objective standards when really, in all honesty, because they are not building on the objective standard, it all turns into be subjective. Hope this isn't over. I hope I'm not speaking over anyone's heads and I hope I'm speaking clearly here on what that is. Um, my brother-in-law puts it good, puts it well also. Believing that good behavior equals favor with God leads to performance-based Christianity. So it's performance-based. It is not, it is not faithfully based. It is not obedience-based, but performance-based. Since the definition of good in this sense isn't biblical, it leads to self-imposed righteousness, declarations of holiness, and spiteful comparing with other believers. It becomes this bizarre moral relativism masked with poor exegesis and perpetuated by brainwashed masses. Yeah, that was fire. I'm going to read that again, just so that way you guys get this really burned into your skull. So believing that good, and I'm putting good in quotes here, believing that good, your idea of good behavior equals favor with God, leads to performance-based Christianity. Since the definition of good in this sense isn't biblical, it leads to self-imposed righteousness, declarations of holiness, and spiteful comparing with other believers. It becomes this bizarre moral relativism masked with poor exegesis and perpetuated by brainwashed masses. Brainwashed masses. 
making the mistake that many of the Pharisees did. Not all of them. One of the biggest problems that people do is they, they, they broad brush Pharisees as well. Um, Jesus actually was likely one of their ranks. Fun fact for you. Um, so, But many of the Pharisees did this, thinking that they're better than everyone else because they hold to these other traditions rather than the law. And some even thought they were better than Jesus himself. That was the whole point of them trying to corner him. So moral relativism is bad. Moral, relativ moral relativism destroys and and it brings it just it brings confusion everywhere it goes. Moral relativism is bad when it's over here in the completely liberal realm, and it's really bad as well when it's over here in the completely conservative realm. You do not get to sit there and pick and choose your moral relativism. The whole point is that there is an objective moral value, and if you're not based on objective moral values, then you have no objection that you can actually substantiate against anyone. Otherwise, it just turns into your preferences and your opinions. And let me just say, uh, your opinions can go with the wind. I really don't care about opinions. I care about the facts of God. And, you know, we can have a good discussion about opinions, but that is not what we should be holding churches or standards to. And the other thing is, is on a doctrinal note, it perverts the gospel. Uh, they come at Christianity backwards from a selfish standpoint, from a self-aggrandizing view. Hell, and they also do this, like in the IFB world especially, they do this uh, um, hell gospel theatric, preach that, and preaching is meant to scare you into a fight or flight. You know, heaven is the flight, sin is the, sin is, no, heaven is the flight, sin is the fight, that kind of idea. So they, they'll go on and preach this terrifying sermon about hell, trying to scare people into, into heaven. And it's just, it's not helpful. Full. It's, it, it's also funny because it, it doesn't really leave, leave a hope. And I have no problem preaching and being honest about the, uh, the, the truth of hell, okay? Hell is script, mentioned in scripture, but if all you're doing is trying to scare people into heaven, you're doing it wrong because that's not, it never says anywhere in scripture that we are to be scared in heaven. We are to fear the Lord, um, but that's a different kind of fear than what people think. Uh, we are meant to repent and believe. Repent and believe so that we might be saved from hell. And if all you're doing is hitting the fear of hell, you're trying to scare people into heaven, and that's not helpful. Uh, also, introducing, so basically, uh, introducing people to Jesus becomes secondary to introducing them to fire, right? So, you know, we don't want to introduce people to Jesus right away. We need to introduce them to the fire of hell first, as opposed to introducing them to Jesus and then explaining the truth of hell and then giving them the solution, which is also Jesus. So the gospel requires truth, and um, it requires truth and grace, okay? The gospel requires truth and grace. If all you're doing is focus on truth of hell and not the truth of Jesus Christ, you're failing. And if all you're doing is talking about how good God is and how much he loves you without talking about the truth of hell or the, the dangers of your sin, you're also failing. The gospel requires truth and grace. Truth without love is harshness, and love without truth is compromise. So you have to balance the two. The, the hell story does no good without a heavy emphasis on truth and grace. And this goes right into the, uh, their other method of control and the other method of legalism. The other danger of it is a fear-based system, okay? So obviously the health theatric really breeds fear, but it also gives you an unhealthy fear of God. As my friend Ethan put it, it makes you afraid of be that God might zap you out of existence at any time and that anything bad that happens to you is God's judgment. Because they will teach that. Oh, if you do this, oh, this is God judging you right now. And it really turns into like the friends in the book of Job or, or his wife. It's really, really bizarre. So so really, and it, they, what they do is they confuse fear of God with awe of God, because if I'm in awe of God, there is a respect there. You know, not all fear is bad fear, but they don't teach it that way. Uh, because like, not all fear is bad fear. You know, a child should have a healthy fear of his parent. 
you know, of being of being punished, but in a respectful and loving way, not a not a way of I'm literally hiding in my closet because my parent is abusive. Okay, there's a difference. So also they they use their fear-based system to shame people into things. Uh, people fear their berating or the excommunication from their church. They fear their judgment. They fear rejection because what the, a lot of times legalistic groups do is they create a bubble and they make you think that that is the only thing that you have, and they make you cut off and isolate yourself from all other types of people. And then what they do is then they berate you in that, they condition you in that, and then you become so dependent upon that group that you end up, um, you become so dependent on that group, you end up fearing any, any kind of rejection from that group. So, so again, God might just zap you because you're just garbage, <laughs> unless you're the pastor, of course, in which case you can get away with anything. And that is a real problem here. And also this fear-based system. So remember, if he is the man of God and he is God, and uh, you know, you know if, if the pastor is the man of God and then you have God, and God speaks directly to the pastor, and this authoritarian view comes in, you know, where the pastor's in charge of everything and everyone's afraid of being rejected, then it puts the pastor in a position of being able to abuse people. And this is where you hear of all these horrific stories uh, that some, that, you know, preacher boys and other groups do well to expose the abuse that happens because once you have someone that, once people are afraid of you and are afraid to question your authority, the, you put them it really to your subjugation. The other thing that this builds uh, with pride and, you know, pride and fear builds narcissism. It builds narcissism. If you're better than everyone else and keep these higher standards, your pride mutates into a narcissistic view. Narcissism blame shifts all the time, right? No narcissist takes the blame. They are very prideful. They are the number one. They're the best and everyone else is, is the problem. So narcissists blame shift all the time. They can't take responsibility. So they have to point in every other direction. They can't take the, take the blame, which is why you have some of these narcissists who might struggle with lust. And then you have this pastor up front who's talking about how all these girls are, you know, are immodest skanks and all this stuff, and they need to cover themselves up. And if she dresses, if a man lusts after her, it's her fault. And you know, again, I'm not saying that modesty is not a biblical uh, is not a biblical concept, but they twist what modesty is into something else entirely, and then they blame the girl for the man's lust. And I'm sorry, we are we as men are responsible for our own our own lust, just like a woman is responsible for her own lust. We are responsible for our own sins. So you can't sit there and blame shift your sins all the time. There can be triggers, sure, but that does not mean that trigger it makes them 100% responsible. So narcissists blame shift all the time. That's why these pastors will do that in the in the fundamentalist circles. And like I said. You can just in interpolate for your group uh, on what I'm speaking of here because I can only speak on my personal experience. So blame shifting is prevalent. They blame women, maybe blame the president in power, they blame the world, they blame the children, but rebuking the man, and especially the pastor, is considered disrespectful. I had this at a church I served at as a, as a youth pastor. I could not question the pastor, even though the pastor was trying to cover up so, uh, something that heavily involved, yeah, involved uh, sexual abuse, and then, of course, I had to be a whistleblower which was a ton of fun, not really. And a bunch of people still followed the pastor, believe it or not. A bunch of people still followed the pastor. I was excommunicated from the church, even though I was the one defending somebody and protecting somebody. Uh, it's funny how that works, but again, and then I got blamed for tearing apart the church, not the one covering the abuse. You see how this narcissism and pride works? I can't be at fault. And oh, remember, uh, this person, yeah, anyway, I'm not going to get to that story. It's a really long story, and it's not something really worth having. But anyway, it becomes a system of control. 
You know, for example, this is where God wants you to be. I'm God's man. What do I do? What I say, and you'll please God because I'm God's man, right? I am the man of God, and so if you do, if you listen to what I say, you will please God as well. So it becomes this major system of control where people can get entirely abused, and either sexually they can be abused emotionally, or even physically, where they're just being forced to be there all the time and work all the time. And it's amazing how often people get conditioned into this. I remember I, I was I was never fully sold into uh, the fundamentalist thing, but I was I thought that that was the best thing close to biblical Christianity because I had no idea because that's what I was always told. I, oddly enough, I didn't believe half of what they told me, but then at the same time, I believed half of what they told me. It was very bizarre. But that tells that so what happens when you're raised in silly environments how, when you're trying to think clearly and you're able to think clearly, but you're so gaslit that you don't really know how to handle it. But um, then this goes right into, this idea of control goes right into what I call pastor worship, pastoral worship, which is again, uh, he's the Pope. For people who don't like the Catholics so much because the Pope is the ultimate authority, they oftentimes follow their pastor as the ultimate authority. Uh, we had this at Crown College with Clarence Sexton. He, you know, he was above the common folk. I remember, uh, you know, he would request, if we, there was this big banquet, he would request a specific meal for him and his family. Like, nope, you'll make us a special meal for it, and we cannot eat the same food as the common folk. Uh, they, he also, there would be this whole, like, well, pastor said, pastor said this. And I'm like, yeah, but the Bible says this. And they'd be like, well, pastor said it this way. And I got, that was the rebuke all the time. Well, pastor said, and not, uh, well, God said, the Bible says, it never turned into that. Or if what did turn was, this is what the Bible says, it was always a twisting of the text, like the appearance of evil. If you haven't, watched our video on the appearance of evil and what that means. And I would say, watch the video, don't listen to the audio. Uh, I use a visual in that that actually makes it very helpful for you to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, so, and because the pastor is the ultimate authority, he becomes unquestionable. Yeah, I can't imagine how abuse would build from that. Anyway, so basically pastor, the pastor equals the man of God, which equals God's spokesperson, which equals the total authority. And this is how abuse happens at the hands of these pastors, by hiding behind an unbiblical view of the pastoral role, which is why one of the first videos I did is, what is the role of the pastor? Again, go back and check that out. And this is, and you know, um, what happens, a well-meaning innocent people who are wanting to be trained in ministry or have become uh, recently converted to Christianity or who are so eager to seek after God fall into these groups of people who are so willing to shape them and to groom them into that kind of behavior. And then they end up repeating the abuse and the cycle continues just like in abusive homes. I've had friends who have broken out of uh, legalistic groups and it's been so refreshing, but I've also had friends that have gone back into it because they got guilted into it, uh, shamed into it, they're, um, you know, maybe a family member did or because they're dating somebody they got pushed back. I I've seen it happen a hundred times. I've also seen people who are just, they know it's all wrong, but they stick in it and that's because they're afraid of the lashback, which is part of the problem. Like, you know, we're, we're what happened to courage, right? Like what happened to being able strong enough to be standing for the truth and, and be willing to take whatever darts come your way for the sake of the truth. You know, how, I don't know how we can sit there and be, say we're Christians and we're, we're focused on the truth of Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, when I'm not even willing to take a stand for truth at all and I'm, I'm more scared uh, than anything of being shamed out of it. It's, it's kind of pathetic. Like how can you be for the truth of the gospel when you can't even be the, for the truth of the Bible in your own uh, body of Christ? But anyway, that was not in my notes. So what ends up happening in this, this authoritarian circle is that the truly malicious do the most damage, but the truly ignorant help cement it, okay? So don't be one of those who help cement it. 
if you are an illegalistic group, resist the legalism, fight against it, or leave it. It is not helpful for the cause of Christ, and you're only going to hurt things. So people know, and if you know it's wrong, but don't rebuke it, for the sake of some faux unity, you, I was going to say you're complicit in all of it. You're just being complicit in all of it. Because what is when all of this is going on, you're like, well, I just want to be unified with them. You know, I don't agree with them on all that. Look, I'm the church split guy who unites the divided body. I'm all for diverse views. But I am not for diverse views that cannot be biblically backed up in any way, shape, or form. You know, that is not helpful. Uh, and you're being complicit in legalism. Stop brewing it. Stop allowing it. Shut it down. And the church in America will do a lot better when it just destroys all legalism, okay? With extreme prejudice, okay? Anyway, so really it turns into manipulation rather than leadership from the pastoral role, not so others to it. And of course, you women will enjoy this one. Uh, the other danger is misogyny. And I'm not talking about the misogyny that we hear nowadays. I get so tired of hearing this term used improperly. But if you, if you want to look up, look up uh, you know, just Jack Scott and women, uh, YouTube it. Look at uh, all these people there. What they say about women, uh, or just listen, or just listen to uh, the very intro to the RFP podcast and you know the Recovering Fundamentalist podcast. Uh, you will hear a misogynistic statement. Um, so when I use misogyny, I use it properly, okay? Uh, it, which is a certain disdain toward women. Women are told, and I've heard this say, said in an auditorium, that women are told basically that their minds are weak because they're the weaker vessel. They take the weaker vessel and completely apply it broadly. It's really stupid. But um, women are told their minds are weak, so they must rely on the men, even if the men are abusive. Like, they must rely on the man. Oh, you must have the man tell you because you're too dumb to get it. You know, you must always, oh, oh, you know, they take that women must remain silent to the church thing out of context and then they start applying it broadly and all this other stuff. And basically told that women are dumb and they need to mind their business and they will say women are meant to, um, and again, I'm talking about uh, independent fundamentalists, not, maybe not your circle, uh, but... You know, they're told that women, uh, they're the caretakers of the children. They must be the take caretakers of the home. And, you know, they can't work uh, outside the home. And that the man is their ultimate authority. Like, they cannot question their husband ever because they take the idea of submission to a whole new level of what it is. And if you are wondering about my view of what biblical submission is, go watch our video on complementarianism. So, um, also, dress codes are more heavily enforced with women than they are with men. It's very weird. Women are, they're, like, obsessed with how women dress. And it really is kind of disturbing. I remember there's so many things that that's grossed me out that they would point out. Um, also, their women are not allowed personal privacy or independence. Uh, many times they had to go in groups, like uh, you know, if you were on campus somewhere, uh, Crown College, for example, three girls would have to travel together. So a woman couldn't just a girl couldn't just go to Walmart to buy herself some tampons. Okay, it was ridiculous. So women are, and then well, of course, women are to be submissive in all things. No opinions allowed. You dumb, dumb, dumb woman. That was. That was their view, and it, it was disgusting. So, uh, and even platonic relationships with girls were sexualized. I hinted the, to this at, uh, at the beginning of the video, but even a hug becomes a sexual advance. And let me explain to you how disrespectful this is for a minute. If everything you are thinking about, being left alone in a room with a girl, like if you just happen to be in a church building and you and a girl are in a, lo are in a room alone, I remember I'd. There's times I'd walk into a room and there'd be a girl in the room. I didn't know she was in the room. And she'd look and she'd bolt, okay? She'd bolt out of the room trying to just get away because she didn't want to uh, look like she was sinning. And so what it turns into is that every interaction with the opposite sex turns into this, to this dance of, 
are we being sexual? Are we not? And so what, let me ask you this. What is more sexual? A, a hugging your friend or never touching your friend but paranoid that everything you do is sexual? Well, one of them is hugging your friend and the other one is making you constantly think about sex. Now, you tell me which one's more sexualized, hmm? And I said this before, this complete restriction of that actually created more problems because it turned people into doing anything they could to sneak around the rules a little bit uh, to just, hey, I want to get away from this. Uh, hey, well, my girlfriend and I will sneak off. We'll just hold hands and one thing led to another, suddenly she's pregnant. You know, uh, because they were not taught discipline. They weren't taught how to do things properly. So instead, they, they start sneaking behind everything instead of doing things openly and everything's so sexualized anyway, it increases sexual tension and instead of decreasing and teaching people how to be responsible in all these different situations and how that some of these things are completely platonic and some of these things, some of these things are completely not even remotely close to sexualized and you're to sexualizing things that are unnecessarily sexualized, thereby creating a lot of issues. So I've said this before, uh, platonic relationships are sexualized because even a hug or a fist bump, it turns into a, a, something sexual. And uh, you know it, what it really turns into is everyone's mind now is on sex all the dang time because you're like, oh my gosh, I don't want to come off like I'm advancing on you sexually. Um, or even if you're interested in a girl, it turned it really awkward too on how to be interested in a girl because you know everything's so paranoid that I'm interested in her. I just have no idea how to talk to her because everyone here thinks that if I even sit next to a girl, I suddenly want to have sex with a girl. And I'm not even kidding. Like they, in the, uh, Crown College, for example, in the rule book, if you sat next to a girl in the chapel, they considered that dating. And as a boy who served in the deaf ministry, which was 90% female, you can imagine how many times people thought I was like just, just always flirting with women. And I actually, I, I had that reputation. It was funny because I'm like, nope, I'm just in a womanly ma woman majority ministry. Uh, so it's just funny. It's silly and it's absurd. So anyway, platonic relationships are sexualized and oftentimes it is on, it is at the expense of the woman. You know, it is the woman's fault. It's the woman's fault. It's the woman's fault. And when really it is the fact that the man is a pervert and doesn't know how to control himself. But anyway, and then, of course, uh, to go back to the gospel thought, is uh, there's also poor evangelism. Being so separate from the world that you isolate yourself, making you ignorant on important things, and rarely meeting people where they are. And I say ignorant on important things because, oh my goodness, I've seen some embarrassing things from people who are so sheltered from being separate from the world. Uh, they be, and it, they're so focused on being separate from the world that they're not up to date on anything and they say some of the dumbest stuff that makes us look even more foolish. It turns into poor evangelism because it allows us not to engage the culture well. You know, Paul engaged his culture well on Mars Hill. He used their idolatry in a way to present them the gospel. And here we have people who are just completely ignorant of anything in the world. I saw one person uh, said, um, you know, one person literally tweeted uh, at one point, I don't know the name, but was like, WAP stands for worship and praise or something like that. Or I can't wait to WAP with you on Sunday or something like that, worship and praise. Because somebody jokingly told them that and they actually thought it was really what that, what that meant. And uh, it's definitely not, definitely not what that means. But uh, so better change, uh, and, you know, and so the idea is, you know, they, they also believe when someone recently converts that they better change the right way or they don't properly love Jesus, 
right? So like, okay, oh, you believe, oh, you, you, you made a statement of faith. Great. Now you're going to be part of the church. So you have to do this, 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 and this. Well, that person doesn't want to live up to that. Suddenly they're like, well, you don't love Jesus anymore. Then that person becomes bitter at the church and equates all of it with Christianity. It becomes, it becomes uh, anti-gospel at that point. And then, of course, not fellowshipping with others because they don't believe the exact same way as you do, which turns you into a very poor witness, allows you not to minister, allows you not to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, and it just turns you into a self-righteous, uh, basically a self-righteous hermit who's like, well, nope, I have my perfect little inner circle, and you aren't good at evangelism at that point. So all this, and these are, this is just a broad brush. There's a lot more specific things I could talk about. But this results in depression, because people can't live up to it. This results in rebellion, which is tur and turning your back on their preferences, and also sometimes on God. Uh, it turns into rejection of church and God, equating people and these things with God. And that's how a lot of people will leave the IFB or uh, other legalistic groups and become atheists or become people who just hate church and organized religion because they equate all that with God. And possibly uh, it turns into possibly even becoming a man pleaser and raising your children the same way because you actually fall into it and you obey it and you follow through with it. And then now you're repeating the same pattern and then your children might end up walking away eventually. So basically, you know, viewing these new converts as less than desirables as well, or a basket of deplorables, if you will, uh, they need to be fixed immediately. Or these people who disagree with us need to be fixed immediately because they don't truly love the same Jesus as much as we do. And really what ends up happening is that it creates an insecurity of salvation and an insecurity of the self. And, you know, you're not sure about your salvation because how can you be secure of your, uh, secure of your salvation? You're falling short on all these things and they're always scaring you again uh, out of hell. And what really goes down to is how your theological view of is it better to please God rather than man? If it's better to please God rather than man, then stop trying to please man and stop promoting legalism. You know, uh, we, you know, it's, it's, are we, are we going to be focused on the inward appearance or the outward appearance? Are we going to go baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, encouraging them to repent and believe on Jesus Christ and to follow his law? Or are we going to give God the help? So that is the point of this. So the, there is a lot of dangerous legalism. This is uh, some things I wanted to mention. I would love to hear your experience because I only come from the from one side of the spectrum. If you've experienced legalism in another way, please comment it below. And let's talk about, and let's just as a group try to push biblical Christianity. Let's seek truth. Let's see, seek Bible. And let's stop focusing on stupid things that God never spoke on. And let's stop focusing on legalism and stop making your opinions equate with God's law. And let's just work together. So thank you guys for watching. Like and sub to the channel if you haven't. Comment below. I really would love to hear your story. Share this video along too and encourage others to share their story of legalism. And if this was helpful for you, please let us know. Go leave us a review on our Facebook page or on, uh, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, things along that, that nature. And again, guys, thank you for watching and you take care. God bless. I'm going to go see my daughter now in the hospital. So I'm really excited. Thank you all for watching. Take care.